So my interview this week with Khan Apostolopoulos was so amazing, especially the soundbite you are about to hear about urgent versus important. And as a business leader, I hope you know about the Eisenhower Matrix. I teach this in my blended online learning course for emerging leaders, where sometimes as we start moving up in the organization and being more visible, respected, and asked to do more, there are things that are important and there are things that are urgent. And so often we default to those things that are urgent because there is that instant gratification. But if we are going to make a difference and leave a legacy, which is what the Drop-In CEO brand is all about, is we need to be focused on the important because that's where the strategic work is, where we move our organizations forward. So leader out there, I ask you to pause and reflect. What percent of your day is dealing with urgent matters? And if it is 80 or 90%, you are operating in the wrong zone. You need to be 80% strategic working on the things that are important and only maybe 20% urgent. Think about your day and how it's organized. I can help coach you, but also my great guest, Coach Khan, as he's often called as well, can also guide you on that path. Let's listen to an amazing conversation. Well, it's what Stephen Covey used to call the tyranny of the urgent. For many senior leaders, they are constantly bombarded by the urgent. People are putting things in front of them, demanding decisions now about things that are in front of them now. For many leaders, it is a cycle where it becomes a very addictive codependency. And it becomes a situation where it is very rewarding to be able to solve problems in the immediate nature. Being at the level that you and I know these people need to be, the where we coach them to be is a very different thing. They have to focus on things that are important, but not yet urgent. They have to focus on things where the company is going five and 10 years from now. They have to have a, an outlook that is much further out than the immediate responses. So when they are put in a situation where they want to feel good, they start acting tactically as opposed to strategically. They start getting caught up in the day-to-day. -day. For many of them, they are still the operator. The only difference is their operation just got a lot bigger. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I am so grateful you've joined me on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I meet amazing people, and I have the pleasure of bringing them to you each week. And if you like this episode, I do ask if you can please subscribe, rate, review, download, and share with others. And a big shout out to people. I have noticed some amazing downloads lately. So if you're listening to this, just want to say thank you. So this week, I am honored to share the mic with my amazing guest, Konstantinos Apostolopoulos. Coach Khan <laughs> is the founder of and CEO of Fresh Biz Solutions, a human capital management 
consulting group that provides performance improvement and training solutions to help organizations develop their people, improve business results, and benefit from a comprehensive talent management strategy. And he is also the co-author of the timely book, Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a practical guide for emotionally dealing with pandemics and other disasters. And as a Thinkers 360 Global Top 50 Thought Leader, he is a regular contributor to popular industry and cultural publications such as Management Issues, Achievers Engaging Blog, and Thrive Global. It is my honor to welcome you onto the show, Khan. What a joy to be with you here, Deb. What a joy. Thank you. All right. And just by the way, you have just an amazing voice. So between my voice, your voice, the listeners are in for a treat. But for my listeners, Khan and I know each other for some time. We are part of the same mastermind group. And for those of you who are not part of a professional networking or mastermind group, I highly recommend it. You never know who you stumble upon or amazing guests. And the other reason is, you know, we have been navigating a crisis through all the changes in our world. And one of the things I think about is that, yes, it was a crisis. Yes, things happen, bad things happen to people and we survived. But are there lessons in this that we can make and incorporate into our leadership style? So Khan, it is my pleasure to have you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself personally, your career journey, and the work that you're doing now. Well, thank you, Deb. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you to your listeners for tuning in. So a little bit about me. As you mentioned, I, I have a practice by the name of Fresh Biz Solutions, and the concept is very simple, taking good ideas from one area and being able to apply them in other areas. My breadth of experience, having worked in a variety of different industries, things from call centers to travel and hospitality, from working in the military and serving in the military from my, in my youth to operating within restaurants, from working within corporate Fortune 100 organizations and training little girls soccer. So from all of those opportunities that I've had, I have been all of those roles. And I, but more importantly, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, I'm a trainer. I'm somebody who is proud to be a husband, a father, somebody who hopes to make a difference in this world. Beautifully concise. So much wrapped up in there. But before we go into Khan and the work that you do, how'd you get into coaching soccer? I'm curious. Ah, well, it's, it's an interesting situation because it brings together three of my greatest joys. Like I mentioned, I love to teach, to coach. I love working with kids and I love the game. I love the sport of soccer. I grew up playing it at a young age, and I grew up in a culture that really appreciates the sport, where it is number one for all of us back home in my native Greece. That's beautiful. And you know, you talk about loving teaching, training, coaching others, helping people to evolve. Obviously, that's about who you are. But I'm wondering if in your upbringing, were there people that modeled that same quality and being great teachers, trainers, coaches? Was there anybody in your life that inspired you in the work that you're doing now? Well, in many ways, my parents, the unique nature of, of my background and something that we probably will get into at some point is that I am a first-generation immigrant in this country, but I was born to first-generation immigrants in a whole nother country and continent. My parents left their native Greece and went to Australia back in the 60s to start a new life and kind of carve out their own part of their dream. And I was born there, lived my very early years there before they returned back to Greece. So I experienced from them the bravery and the resilience 
and their ability to to pursue their dream for themselves, but more importantly for their family. So that became an inspiration for me to serve, to serve my family, to serve my community, to serve others, and ultimately to serve my clients. And that has been a big inspiration for me as I ventured out onto my own journey. And having lived and worked on four different continents and across the globe, and now maintaining a client base that is could be anywhere on the map. And from that perspective, I feel very comfortable interacting with them, having that kind of influences in my cultural background and my history and in my journey. It allows me to adapt very, very quickly and to embrace and be open to those differences that we have. Mm, beautifully said. There's so much in that. Again, you know, we talk about diversity all a lot, but do we really internalize what it is? And I talk about this in my book, The CEO's Compass, about recognizing the deep culture and past, one of the compass points of people and what they bring to the table. And while it may be different, we need to celebrate the differences, but then recognize the value of, you know, having been in Australia, having been in Greece, having been in the sport of soccer. What are all those qualities or things you can bring to business? Because there may be something in that that others don't have in the room. That's why we need to celebrate culture, the diversity in all walks of life and all thoughts. So thank you for sharing that. The funny thing is that we know each other, but this is the power of networking and just sitting down and having a good conversation to get to know each other. You never know where this may go. So I would love to just get a little bit into your client work again. This is a little bit for me. I know kind of what you do, but... I'd love to know more about what does that client look like that they're at a point where they either recognize that they need your support or they're told they need your support and how do you help them? I'm curious. Well, you and I have shared this in our in our own conversations, how we are very synergistic in the way that we've gone about helping our clients. There's a lot of similarities, yet there are some distinct differences. Whereas you are a role model for many CEOs, you have walked that path, you've been down that path, and now you're sharing a lot of the secrets from your own experiences as you go through this and you coach and you mentor and you help a lot of these CEOs get unstuck, add that almost peer-to-peer relationship that they don't normally have. They have nowhere to go with this. So you stepping in and being to that, that drop-in CEO allows you to be able to become that trusted resource, that trusted partner in the process for them. Now, in my world, what I do is I will, I will take a slightly different angle, even though I do coach executives, and that's part of the reason I'm called Coach Khan, but obviously much more because I coach the kids. But in my line of work, in the way that I've, I've found my niche, if you will, is that I essentially help organizations. I help CEOs and senior leaders and entrepreneurs bring their vision, their mission, their strategic plan to life. And how do I do that? I help them prepare a pipeline, to build that pipeline of ready leadership talent to execute their strategy. Because if you don't have the people to execute your strategy, all you have is a paper exercise. You have a binder full of notes. You may have something, a nice placard up on the wall. It means absolutely nothing if you don't have the people to bring it to life. And that's where I can step in and I can help a lot of our clients to be able to make that come alive by helping them prepare that leadership team all the way down to the front line where they can execute and bring that vision, that mission to life, their strategic priorities and make them their priorities. You know, when I think about your target client that brings you in, I call those courageous leaders because I talk about this in some of my talking points and in the book is we have this thing that is a challenge for people is having corporate courage. We as leaders come to points of transition or crisis, (laughs) hopefully not, and where we realize we haven't filled the pipeline with that talent and then they find themselves 
off track. What would it look like if a leader kind of realizes that this is an issue? It's comfortable to stay where you're at because you've got great talent that have been doing the work. But what if a crisis happens? What if somebody departs the business and you're caught with people that just can't step up? So kudos for you for aligning, finding, or having those leaders find you that say, I know I need to be planning now for 5, 10, 20 years down the line to protect the brand, protect the people, the community, and the people that enjoy our work. It must be amazing working with those leaders when they come to meet you and work with you. Absolutely. And it's a joy. And again, it's it's part of my pleasure because the two most important days that we have in our life are the day we come into this world and the day we realize why. And I have found my why. And I have found my ability to be able to impact and make a difference for the individuals and the organizations that I serve. And I'll give you an example. The clients that I've been working with now, we are now, what, almost two years approaching very, very quickly coming out of the the first time we heard about the pandemic. You think about where we were March 2020. Months before that, we were fighting over talent. We had a war for talent going on. And for many of my clients that I had already been working with over the years, we already knew exactly what our talent pool looked like. We knew who we could not afford to lose. We knew what we needed to do to retain that. We knew where we had potential holes in our plan from our workforce planning. And we knew what we were going to do. Were we going to buy? Are we going to build? Are we going to recruit from the outside? Are we going to develop internally? And then from that, every single dollar that my clients spend on the development of their talent is a dollar well spent because it's focused on getting them to where they need to get to. So fast forward now through this time period where we've been talking about the crisis management, the crisis leadership that needed to happen during this time and coming out, my clients are much better positioned than their counterparts than their competition right now. Why? It's not that they won't lose people during this great resignation that we're experiencing right now. It's that for every person that they do end up losing, they feel comfortable that they have at least two to step in to take that place. So what's happening now is they are unclogging their pipeline. They are essentially pruning their garden. Now they're giving opportunities to talent that has been prepped and ready to step into those roles with a renewed excitement to execute that strategy to prove themselves. So now not only are you not suffering the major losses of this turnover, but you actually have a reinvigorated workforce that's ready to prove itself and take the company to that next level. How much further along are you from your competitors now coming out of the gate, coming out of this great pause? The great pause for me was the greatest opportunity in the world to be able to create content, put my message out there. And now coming out of it, more people are seeing, recognizing, and are interested in my offerings. And you bring up an amazing point. And again, I talk about the book. We're going to talk about why our books are so similar, is that I talk about invest in the talent now. I mean, you invest in hiring the right people you spend with recruiting agencies, their onboarding process. And then a lot of companies just let them be and assume and hope they're going to continue to develop and thrive. And when they don't pay attention, they become an express, they they resign, they are a, become a poor performer. And then they have to, they probably don't even account for it in the bottom line, but they become an expense. Why don't companies continue to invest in the human capital, just like they do in the maintenance of their facility, their IT equipment, et cetera. They don't value the human capital as much as they should, but they certainly miss it when they're gone. Absolutely. So there may be people listening who haven't yet realized they need to take action. Why do some of these senior leaders hesitate to be able to start working on the strategy for the future for their people 
and who is going to lead tomorrow? What holds them back? Because if they're listening right now, I want you to be able to speak to them and help them to maybe think differently. Well, it's what Stephen Covey used to call the tyranny of the urgent. For many senior leaders, they are constantly bombarded by the urgent. People are putting things in front of them, demanding decisions now about things that are in front of them now. And for many leaders, it is, it is a cycle where it becomes a very addictive codependency. And it becomes a situation where it is very rewarding to be able to solve problems of, in the immediate nature. Many of these senior leaders, if you watch their career path, they've come up from the operation side or an area where their tactical prowess has given them the opportunity. Their successes solving problems in real time has made them successful. Being at the level that you and I know these people need to be, the where we coach them to be is a very different thing. They have to focus on things that are important, but not yet urgent. They have to focus on things where the company is going five and 10 years from now. They have to have a, an outlook that is much further out than the immediate responses. So when they are put in a situation where they want to feel good, they start acting tactically as opposed to strategically. They start getting caught up in the day-to-day. -day. For many of them, they are still the operator. The only difference is their operation just got a lot bigger. When I have a senior vice president calling up on a local and a local plant or a local office or a local restaurant and checking if the dishwasher made it in on time, that's not a good use of their time. I'm sorry, but that's not why they should be paid that money. They should be focusing on where are we taking this company 10 years from now? Where are we going to make our difference? How are we going to satisfy our clients and increase our market share? How are we going to make sure that we have the right people in the right place going in the right direction? That's their job. And it's a self-fulfilling thing. You need to be filling the pipeline with the right people, with the right talent, so you don't feel the need to have to go into the weeds. But I often wonder, there may be the talent already in place that can handle the weeds. They choose to go there because of self-importance, to your point, the addictive behavior. That's how they've been celebrated, acknowledged, elevated, and rewarded. I call it a firefighter. And yes, they save the day, but sometimes they don't last and then they're gone or the company culture or what have you starts to crumble. It's a terrible thing. It is. And it's a different set of responsibilities that you know it and I know it. It's a very different skill set altogether to be able to operate and think that way strategically. So I want to go a little bit into the book right now. So it's an amazing thing. Again, it was written in the middle of a crisis. But you know what? When I think about the work that you did, yes, situationally, it needed to be written to bring yours and your partner's insights to the world. But I almost think it is a leadership guide for now, not even during a time of crisis. You talk about a lot of personal development. You talk about preparation. And I, as you, to your point, I think preparation should be starting now for whatever crisis may be in the future, because if it's not the pandemic, it's a global supply chain shortage, it's a military situation, it's economic, whatever, there are always going to be crises. So I'd love for you to just tell me a little bit more about the writing of the book, why you wrote the book, et cetera, because I want people to get their hands on this book. And more importantly, because it has a compass on the front of it, and my book has a compass. So I'm a big fan of it. So tell me more about writing of the book. Well, it's an interesting situation. And um, what people don't understand is that when mid-March hit and everything shut down, we were just as impacted as everybody else. We were caught in a situation where we were like, okay, speaking engagements, training, workshops, all of the engagements that we had with our clients that required us to be there in purpose, all of a sudden were put on hold or even canceled. 
So now we are in a situation where we are being challenged ourselves about what to do with this. Well, my partner came to me in, in, in that, at that time, Dr. Ilya Gurguris, dear friend, brother, and also co-author on the book. He came to me and says, you know, we have to write a book about this. We need to share what we know about this. Are you in? And I didn't hesitate for a moment. And I said, absolutely. So we invested the time that we had during that period, rather than feeling sorry for ourselves, to turn around. And with that focus, that outward focus of trying to help others, we made a commitment and we delivered the book in 45 days. So in 45 days, we were able to capture our thoughts, our essence of what we wanted to do. Now, granted, much of that content we already had at our disposal. It's been things that we've been working with for years. So it wasn't unfamiliar. But putting it together, if we felt it was important that people needed answers, practical answers about how to emotionally deal with things now, not a year from now, but now. So we wrote the book with an eye on the end user being the individual, the every person. Everybody was getting bombarded with statistics, with this, that, the other, the horrific prospects of what was going on. If you remember news 24-7 about all the devastation that was going on, and people were starting to feel depressed just listening to the news, the, the, the suicide hotlines, all of the emergency lines, we were dealing with an, an, a rising, not just a physical challenge, a crisis because of the COVID pandemic, but emotionally, mentally, psychologically, people were being bombarded. Depression rates, suicide rates were going up. We had the financial insecurity that was going on. And then on top of that, the social unrest. So for the first time, we're dealing with four, right there, four major crises compounding one on top of the other. Even if you're the most apt at dealing with any sort of massive change, four of those on top of each other would bring anybody to their knees. And that's why we wrote the book in such a way that it's easy to consume, easy to read, easy to index and reference with practical insights. Here's one chapter. At the end of that chapter, here's a summary, points to ponder. Here's some questions to ask and reflect on. Here is one or two things you can do to move forward in that direction. And that's the kind of simple direction that people needed at the time. Oh, and there are so many things in here that I want to kind of summarize for our listeners. One of the things you said was, well, we picked up ourselves and we wrote the book because we had something to say and share with the world. We did it at a time where we had an opportunity because you had the time and space. But the lesson in here is we should all be writing. We should be distilling our thoughts and putting it out there whether it's at a time of crisis or when we're really busy. So everybody has something unique, write a blog post, submit it to a magazine, get your thoughts out there. Because if we do have a crisis and the environment changes, you have your thoughts written down that you can curate and pull together. But Khan, you know, as you were explaining this, you know, the title of your book is Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. And you do give people a help, a step-by-step guide. It's almost like a resiliency framework. It could be applied to anything in your life. I mean, you talk about self-care, awareness, flexibility, positive attitude. It's all about just resiliency, regardless of what comes across you. So a kudos to you for writing such a thing. But I do have a question about one of the last chapters, kindness. I don't hear kindness often spoken about in the context of individual leadership and preparing yourself. Tell me more about the purpose of putting kindness in the content. When we, when we wrote the book, the way that we've arranged the seven keys, like you said, it is, it is about resilience. If you look up the term resilience, if you look up the concept of resilience, all of the pieces that lead to that are the keys that we outline in the book. 
And we've done that very, very purposefully. We start the journey, and it is a journey. It's a roadmap to resilience. That journey starts with self-care because you cannot hope to help anybody else if you're not on standing on firm ground for yourself. You cannot give what you don't have. So we start with that. And throughout that journey, as you outlined, we get to kindness. And what is kindness? Kindness is an outward pouring of that same sort of care. In the Greek, the word for kindness is kalosini. And kalosini is literally translated as the act of a good person, of a kind person. And when we talk about kindness, the way that we get out of a crisis, get out of our own head, get out of our feeling as a victim or a critic about things is to reach out and help others. Because I can guarantee you, 99% of the people that are listening to us right now, probably worse off than we are. If you look at the, what, what's going on out there, we are so blessed in so many ways. And I don't mean that in a toxic happiness kind of way. I'm looking at it from a standpoint of gratitude that we have so many things because at a time of turmoil and change, everybody focuses on what's changing. Little do they focus on what stays the same. What do we still have? What should we be grateful for? And kindness is that outpouring because the minute you reach out to somebody else and you try to help them, they pick up groceries for a neighbor that can't get out. You take a child and you help them find their mother. You move from one place to the other. You reach out and help somebody that is in need. The gift that you give comes back to you multiple times over because that sense of satisfaction, that sense of making a difference is part of what keeps you going. It re-energizes you. It gives you strength. And the thing that I want to emphasize is that many people will shake their head and go, yeah, I kind of get it. I, I can see that. I feel sometimes very generous and I'll give kindness. But giving kindness when you really don't have a lot to give is a very powerful thing. And the return on that investment is even greater. But take it one step further, if I may, Deb, for a second. When we wrote the book, like you said, we wrote it for individuals. What we did not expect is that through the course of the 18 months, this became not just a roadmap to resilience for individuals, but became the new playbook for the leaders that we coach and we serve. These same past steps these same keys along the way, this roadmap is the roadmap to navigate beyond this crisis to the next normal for many of these organizations. And you may ask, what's kindness got to do with an organization? Well, the answer to that is very obvious once you step back and look at it. Because you know what? As a business leader, as an entrepreneur, as an owner, if you're not kind to your people that work for you, if you're not kind to your customers at a time when people are really strapped, if you're not kind and serving from what you can to the communities that you serve, that you operate in, how do you expect to stay in business long-term? How can you become that inspirational company? Wow. And we'll just pause there for a moment. So powerful. And thank you for all of that. We need a little bit more kindness in the world. But what I want to do is just shift gears a little bit because you have given so much to the people that you serve, and you have so much more to offer others who have not yet connected with your material and content. So I understand you have an exciting offer that is coming out that people need to know about. So please share. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. And for those listening, I would invite them. We are putting forward, my co-author and I, Dr. Ilya and I, we're preparing. We have a special program. It's a 30-day challenge, a 30-day challenge and a roadmap to resilience. And we will be deploying that. We'll be making that available to our audience and to people that are interested in that period between Thanksgiving and the holidays of Christmas. So between that period, so from the end of November all the way almost to the end of December, in that period of time when many people, especially caregivers, especially those that 
serve others, that's a difficult period for many. And in that period, if you find yourself, if you feel that you need that extra boost, if you feel that you've been carrying that load with you for so many others over the course of the year, give that gift to yourself. We invite them to participate, to join us in our 30-day challenge where we offer inspiration, we offer guidance, we offer insights, and we offer live sessions with Dr. Ilya and I during that period of time as an added bonus, but don't tell anybody. And it's one of those things where we have the opportunity for not just coaching from us, but coaching from peers, from people that have similar experience to join a community where we can all get through this period of time together and come out stronger on the other way, finish our year strong and enter that next year with a renewed vigor and a renewed purpose of what we're trying to do. I so appreciate the work that you're doing. And I know our listeners will want to take advantage of that. We will be putting information about how to connect with your special offer, especially for the listeners of the Drop-In CEO podcast. We'll get that in the show notes, or certainly please feel free to reach out to myself or Khan if you want more information. So this has been an amazing conversation. I sincerely appreciate your friendship, the professional work that you do in helping others and just bringing great value to our listeners. Any last thoughts or how best can people connect with you? Well, what I would say is I will, I will continue with the thread that we have about kindness. One of the emerging skills, values that we see right now that people are demanding from their leaders is the ability to listen, to be empathetic, and to embrace that. Understand that everybody's going through difficult times. Be open to that. Be open to share your own vulnerability as a leader. Be open to sharing that and partnering with your people, partnering to reach your goals individually and your team's goals. Come together through that partnership, through this journey they should pick up your book. It has wonderful, wonderful examples in there, Deb. I've read that through myself. And as, as a leader of my own business, I found myself going, yep, yep, I can recognize that. She's right. She's right. Good reminder. Even for those of us that, that live and breathe this kind of content and material, it is a wonderful gift that you've brought to everybody through your book. I would encourage people, continue to develop yourself, stay empathetic, and remember, you don't have to go it alone. There are people around you to help. I'm going to end on that note. That was absolutely amazing. Made me feel absolutely wonderful. You have expressed kindness to me and I sincerely thank you. So if people want to connect with Khan, we will have all of his information in the show notes. He is a good friend. He's a good leader and a very kind individual. Thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you, Deb. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.